uh, gifts for a king. And we talked about the first two gifts in this two-part series. I'm going to be going back to that uh, and finishing up. We're going to preach today on myrrh as the gift for the king. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited about next year, and I need to tell you about Champions Week. Uh, January 12th, Jeremy uh, Mills, a friend of mine who pastors over in the Augusta area, is going to be with us. And I was talking with him this morning early, uh, just bouncing some of what I was going to be preaching about today off of him, and then he bounced some things off of me. Uh, and I'm excited about him coming. I'm really excited about him coming. He's going to come. He's going to speak into our lives, and he's going to speak into our church, and he's going to speak into this city. And uh, so I'm very excited that he is going to come. He is a faith preacher, and uh, you're going to be encouraged by him. That's January 12th, not this next Sunday, but the Sunday after. And then the 19th of January, I will be preaching uh, our vision for the year, and God has dealt with me in the last part of this year about next year and about where we are at as a church and preaching about the vision going forward, what God is going to do next year. And I believe God has positioned us in a certain spot and we're getting ready to see some doors kind of blow open that have been there spiritually for some time. And I'm excited about what God is doing. Amen. Um, also, they mentioned uh, leadership. One of the things that is part of what God dealt with me uh, coming into the 2020 is that, um, that we need to start working to develop our leadership as a church, family, and individually. And so several times over the year, we're going to have these leadership training events. You don't have to be at every one, but if you can make it, it will enrich your life. And so um, that will be starting this Saturday, and then we're going to try and do one every other month so that we're not doing too much. Um, also, I'll just throw this out there. I'm sorry it's taking forever for me to get to my sermon. If you're a guest here today, I do preach sermon. It's usually shorter than this. Um, but uh, <clears throat> there will be some changes coming. Those changes will, will kind of hit in the way that we've done. Historically, we've done life groups. We're going to try something a little bit different and uh, do a centralized uh, meeting here in the middle of the week. But you'll see and hear about those changes coming into February, starting closer to February. I don't want to start off the year where it's like everybody has been busy, busy, busy. Boom, we have a bunch of changes. I want everybody to kind of get back into their life and get back to some routine. Who's looking forward to some normal routine? Get back to the norm. I like normal. I really do. And so we'll get back into that, and then we'll, make, we'll have some changes that kind of take place. Not major changes, just some things that will change in how we, we function and operate. And uh, we're just going to give it a go and, and do it for a quarter and see what happens and see how it impacts us and affects us. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with the book of Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be going reading from verses 1 through 12. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen, uh, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came 
from the east, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So, as I mentioned in starting this series a couple of weeks ago, just like what the wise men experienced in their day, there is a battle between two kings that is taking place right now. And that battle is taking place not only in the battlefield of the world, but it's taking place in the battlefield of our lives, your life and my life. There are two kings who want to reign, or one wants to retain his power, and the other wants to gain the throne. But in order for one king, Jesus Christ, to rule in our lives, that means one king must die so that he can reign. We don't know how many wise men there were, but what we do know is we know how many gifts they brought. And so, a few weeks ago, I preached about the first portion of this series, I preached about gold and frankincense, gifts that are perfect for a king and quite common in being presented to kings in history. Gold represents our treasure. It represents our finances. It represents our talents. It represents the treasure that we have here in this earth. And when we give our earthly treasure, what we're doing is we're putting Jesus upon the throne, the throne that materialism and possessions and things in this world want to occupy. And we unset that we take materialism and possessions and things of this world off of the throne and put Jesus there through the sacrifice and the giving of our treasure in this earth. Giving is very much a part of worship, and it's very much a part of putting our heart in right order with God. And so giving is a positive thing 
in our lives. The second of those gifts was frankincense, and frankincense represents our worship. It was used in the incense burned upon the altar in the temple, and it was placed on the loaves of the table of showbread. One of our great gifts fit for Jesus is in our worship and in our prayer and spending time in the Word of God. Frankincense, I mentioned that it came from cuts in the tree. They would cut the tree and then the sap, the white sap, would ooze from that tree and it would harden. They would capture it and it would harden. And out of that sap, they would take and they would make it into what were called tears. And the tears were these hardened clumps of that resin. And that's how it would be sold. It would be sold in the form of tears. And worship comes from sacrifices made in life. There can be no worship without some sacrifice. Sacrifice started the process when they went into the temple, into the tabernacle. The first thing was a sacrifice. And so often we think about life involving wounds and tears and hardships as being just this this thing that hurts us. But if we'll take it and we'll make it part of the sacrifice of our life and let the unhealed things in our life become turned into worship that goes up before the Lord, we can use those things to be something beautiful. What the enemy has meant for my bad, the Lord has made good. So frankincense is our worship. And it's interesting that frankincense was was used in the altar of incense, which is a representation of prayer today. And it was also sprinkled upon the loaves of the bread, which represents the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The word of God made flesh is our daily bread. So it's prayer and it's spending time in his word. And that's our worship. I want to talk about myrrh today. Myrrh was this aromatic gum that was produced from a thorny tree that grew in the Middle East and in Africa. And it was obtained from the tree in the same manner that frankincense was obtained. There, It was cut. The tree would be cut and it would be wounded. And so as the sap oozed from the cut in the shrub of that tree, this pale yellow color that first came out would be captured. And as it was captured and it began to harden, it would change from that yellow color to a very dark red or even a black color. And myrrh was so valuable in ancient times that it could have the same weight worth as gold. So uh, think about gold today is is what? Selling and trading for uh, a little over $1,000 an ounce, I believe. Last time I checked, I don't watch gold that much. But imagine that this myrrh, this incense, this uh, hardened sap that was the color of a deep red or black, it would be valued at that weight of gold. And it had some very practical uses. It had medicinal properties and it could be taken and ingested and used to relieve pain and for arthritis and and things like that. If you go and study, it's interesting how myrrh was used. But biblically, myrrh was an ingredient of the anointing oil in worship. 
God instructed His people that they were to anoint everything in the temple. Anything that was to be used in worship in the temple was to be anointed. And so it wasn't just, we often think of anointing as an anointing people. But what they would do is they would take that anointing and let's say that uh, they had a pulpit they were going to use. They would anoint the pulpit. They would anoint everything in the sanctuary, chairs, uh, tables, instruments, anything that was chosen and set apart to be part of the worship of God, they would anoint that thing. Why? Because being anointed means being set apart, being distinctly different. It means being chosen by God. And so everything that was in the temple was chosen by God. Jesus was anointed because Jesus was the chosen one. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was set apart. He was different. He was chosen for a purpose. And we know He was chosen for death. He was chosen for resurrection. He was chosen to sacrifice Himself so that you and I could live. So this gift of myrrh was perfect for Jesus. Myrrh was used in perfumes and it was used in incense. It was used as an embalming compound for dead bodies. The Egyptians, if you think about Egyptian mummies, Egyptians would mummify the dead and they used this compound in that mummification process. And just like frankincense was known for having a very sweet smell, a sweet aroma, Scripture talks about allowing the sweet aroma to flow into the nostrils of God, talking about prayer and worship, uh, which is frankincense. Myrrh is known for a very bitter taste. It was bitter when it touched your tongue. In fact, the name itself means great bitterness. That's why myrrh came to be associated with death. It was not only because it was used in embalming, but it was also because of its bitterness of flavor. Myrrh is the only one of the three gifts given to Jesus, both at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. He was presented myrrh as a baby. It was a picture of being set apart, being the chosen one, being the one that God was choosing as a sacrifice. And it was given at the end of his life to represent that same fact that he was chosen. So on the cross, Mark 15, 22 through 23. Mark 15, 22 through 23. Do we have the scripture of Mark 15, 22 through 23. It says they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. The purpose of the mingling of the wine with the myrrh was to relieve some of the pain and suffering, but he would not take it. But it was offered to him the myrrh, the anointing. In the grave, John 19, 39 through 40, it says, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. 
when they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Jesus took myrrh. He took it at the cross and he took it at the grave. He took that bitterness of the cross and he took the bitterness of the grave and he suffered those things so that you and I would not die in our own sins. Gifts of gold and frankincense seem fitting for a king. You think about it, it's it's kind of natural, right? We should give our treasure to the Lord. It's fitting that we should give our worship to the Lord. But myrrh, I understand we can see the types of the anointing and being chosen, born to die. But I want to talk to you this morning because it's deeper than that. Jesus is still receiving these gifts. Of course, we give to Him and surrender to Him of our treasure in this earth. And we give to Him of our worship, but... Have you ever thought about that third gift? We see him taking the bitterness of death and the bitterness of the cross, the bitterness of our sin. But what about the bitterness of life? What about the bitter things in life that we experience? In the Old Testament, I mentioned that myrrh, the same word for myrrh, is often used for bitterness and for death. One example is in Exodus 15, 23 through 25. It tells us now when they came to Marah, that's myrrh, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. That's what the word Marah means. It means bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and ordinance for them. There he tested them. In their first experience of passing through the Red Sea, the Israelites encounter waters that are bitter. They're mar. They're Mara, they're marred, they're messed up at a place called Mara. And it was a tree cast into those bitter waters that made them sweet. You know what it is? It's Calvary. Calvary thrown into the bitter waters of our lives and it changes everything. Jesus is still receiving gifts from people. He'll take your treasure and He'll take your worship. But I want you to know today, He'll also take your bitterness. He'll also take the hurts and the wounds in your life. If you'll give them to Him, He'll receive those things. Ruth 1, 19-22 has the story of Naomi. And Naomi, when she returns to Bethlehem after a long time in Moab, she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi meant pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. Call me bitter. (coughs) She left Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the house of bread because there was a famine in Israel. But she ended up trading a famine which is a bad situation for three funerals, her husband and two sons. And she blames God for the heartache 
but it was her family's own decision to leave Bethlehem. Ruth 1, 19 through 21 through 22 give us the outcome. The two of them, this is Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem. All the city was excited because of them. The women said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Listen, life hurts. Life can leave us bitter. But here's what God can do. Ruth 1.22 says, Naomi returned Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi and Ruth arrived back home at the very perfect time. It was the beginning of barley harvest. Food was plentiful. They left, there was famine. When they returned, there was no more famine. God had prepared a way. And I'm telling someone this this morning because I want you to understand the end of the year is the perfect time to leave the past in the past. I know some things happened over this last year, but you can leave those things right back there. Because God is working in your life. And if you'll allow Him and you'll surrender to Him the gift of your bitterness and the bitter things that were held in this past year are held in the past of your life. It doesn't matter the mistakes you made. It doesn't matter the decisions that were made. It doesn't matter what outcomes they had that came with them. What only matters is the decision you will make today. Jesus will take the bitterness of your life He'll take the bitterness of your year. He'll, make, he'll take the bitterness of your decision and He will take it and make it into something beautiful because Jesus is still receiving gifts. And He doesn't just want your treasure. He doesn't just want your worship. But He'll take your bitterness too. He'll take your bitterness too. He'll take the bitter things and the dysfunction and the mess and He'll take all of that away from you. When you put it into His hand and you trust Him with it, He'll take it and He'll make it something beautiful in your life. Matthew chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 give us the lineage, some of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Whenever you look at this family tree, I want you to not think about how great Jesus was just coming out, but think about the tree itself. It says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. If you don't know who Rahab is, Rahab was a harlot. She was a prostitute. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. If you don't know who Ruth was, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not even to be accepted in Israel, but somehow the Lord made her part of the tree of lineage for Jesus Christ. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David 
the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You know what that is? That's a plug for Bathsheba. Bathsheba was an adulterous woman. She cheated on Uriah with David. David was a murderer. And David was part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Solomon, we know from history, was an adulterer. This family tree of Jesus was full of failures. It was a bitter tree. That didn't prevent the Savior from being born. That didn't stop Jesus from coming. I'm telling you today, somebody needs to listen to me. Jesus can take the bitter things over this past year and over your past life, and He can take those bitter gifts, and if you'll surrender them to Him, the Anointed One can take them and make them Something. Salvation can come even in the place of bitterness. It's interesting. You read Revelation. I'm getting ready to close. <coughs> Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 holds instructions to churches. And in verse 8, it's written to Smyrna. Now, Smyrna says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Smyrna, if you don't know, This, it means bitter. It's the same word, Greek, that's used for myrrh. He says, these things, says the first and the last who is dead and came to life, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I I know your works. I know your tribulation. Tribulation is struggle. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear. Pay attention to this verse. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Listen, if you don't know yet, you may be one of those people that's saying, thank the Lord 2019 is over. I'm ready for 2020. It's going to be a different year. It's going to be a better year. It's going to be a different time. Mistakes I made in 2019 won't follow me into 2020. But hey, I want to tell you, in 2020, you're going to suffer some things too. You say, well, that's not very positive. No, that's reality. Reality's not always positive. In 2020, there'll be some things that you may walk through. You may find yourself in some dark moments, but the Lord never said, hey, you're never going to suffer again. Instead, to the church of Smyrna, the bitter, He said, do not fear any of the things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death be faithful just be faithful and i'll give you the crown of life he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death you may have went through some bitter things over this last year you may have suffered some things you may have suffered some things in your life but i'm going to give you a key to this life. There's perfect gifts that you can give to the Lord. 
You can give him your treasure. You can give him of your worship, but you may not realize it yet, but your bitterness, the thing that you're holding on to, that you keep reflecting back on, that you think, I messed up, I I made a poor decision, or this happened to me, and that happened to me. The Lord wants that too. It's a gift you can give to the king. Bitterness. Life hurts. But our God is a healer. Our God is a healer. If you'll stand with me. I wonder if we can just take a moment and let the Spirit of the Lord minister to us and speak to us today. I know we're supposed to be in the happiest time of the year, right? For some people, not for some of us it may be reminders of past failures it may be reminders of broken relationships it it may be reminders of sins in our life and the missteps of the past year you have a decision that you can make today am I going to let the waters of my life stay as bitterness or am I going to allow the king of kings to touch the waters of my life and give to him the bitterness that's there let him clean up all of the mistakes and the sins and the brokenness and all of the things that are in my heart and my life. Am I going to surrender that to him and let him be the healer that he is? The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to someone right now He's moving on you. You feel that brokenness in your life. You feel that brokenness in your heart. And you're tired of the bitterness. You want to change. She's going to begin to play, begin to sing. We're going to give the spirit of the of our God an opportunity to minister to us and to talk to us and then just a little bit I'm going to invite us as a church family to come forward and I want to invite you to come I want to invite you to come and I want you to come and I want you to present whatever that gift is of bitterness that's in your life maybe maybe it was a decision maybe it's a broken relationship maybe it's something way back in the history that you've never got healing from I want you to come I want you to present that bitterness as a gift for the king. Say, Lord, I I don't know why you want this. But I know it's a gift for you. And I'm going to give it to you.
I'm going to see what you can do with it. Because I've tried everything that I can to take the bitterness out of it. And I cannot. person that this sermon was for, God, that you would begin to speak into their heart, 